0: Our text tonight is found in Judges 2, if you would turn there with me, please. Judges 2, beginning in verse 10. We looked at verse 10 briefly in the last study. Let me say by way of introduction that modern day religion has become nothing more than idolatry. Uh, idolatry is the worship of something other than God and idolatry occurs when someone or something becomes more important to one than the God of the Bible in the Old Testament alone there were over 40 false gods mentioned some were made out of gold some wood, some stone and some clay there was uh, the the false god Amon, the chief god of Egypt. There was Asherah, a Canaanite goddess. Ashtoreth, a goddess of war and fertility. Baal-peor, worshipped by the Moabites. Baal, a god of fertility and rain. They had a god for everything. Dagon, the god of the Philistines. You remember Dagon. They put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple with Dagon and Found Dagon knocked over and broken to pieces. That's a a good illustration of what these <coughs> gods are. They're nothing. Molech, you remember, Molech was the god that they sacrificed children to, burned children in the god of Molech. Artemis, the Greek name for the Roman goddess Diana. Zeus, if you know anything about mythologies, mentioned his two sons, Castor and. Pollux. And then in the New Testament, there was even a God called the unknown God. In case they missed one, they wanted to cover all the bases. Uh, And religion today has made idols out of many different things, but mostly men and women have made gods and idols out of their own imagination. You know, the Lord said, Thou thoughtest or thou imagined that I was altogether such a one as thyself. And many today, well, they worship Buddha, Muhammad, Allah, multitudes have even made an idol out of a man named Jesus. I'm not talking about Jesus Christ. I'm, referring, I'm not referring to the God-man. I'm not speaking of the Son of God. I'm not alluding to God the Son. I'm talking about the Jesus of men and women's imagination. And I'm speaking of the Jesus whom Paul called, another Jesus who is not another. A Jesus who wants and tries and strives with sinners. The Jesus who's done all He can do and He needs your cooperation and help to accomplish what He wants to do. That's not Jesus Christ. That's a a Jesus that men have imagined. Not the Lord of hosts whose hand cannot be stayed. Not the Jesus who thinks and it comes to pass, the Christ who purposes and it stands. I'm talking about the one whose purpose is purposed upon the whole earth. And Isaiah said, the one whose hand is stretched out upon all the nations. That's the Christ that I'm speaking of. Not the Jesus who needs the cooperation of your will to accomplish his will. Isn't that most ridiculous? People talk like that. They don't know the Jesus, the Christ of the Bible. This is the Jesus of modern day religion. And idolatry is rampant and it's interwoven in every aspect of human life, uh, especially in the mainstream religion of this world. And this is why we must diligently proclaim the gospel and teach the truth of scriptures to the this generation in which we live. Uh, Look again at Judges 2 verse 10. Uh, After Joshua and the elders in Israel died, we are informed and there arose another generation after them. Now look, this is how they're described. Which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Now this is the problem that we have in the world today. Men and women don't know the Lord, and they don't know uh, what the Lord, the God of the Bible, has done. It's very apparent in how folks describe uh, God and His Christ. It don't take you very long to realize they're not talking about your God. They're not talking about your Savior. They've made Jesus to be all together like unto themselves, and they have made themselves to be all together like unto God. And it's the exaltation of men and the degradation of God Almighty. Yes, and it's led to a downward spiral, yeah, just as the verses in our text tonight do. You read these verses and it just breaks my heart. Yeah. And I'll tell you something else that breaks my heart. I have one child out of five that has an interest in the things of Christ. I very often feel as though I failed them in teaching them and the example that I lived before them, but our generation must take some of the blame and the action of this younger generation that follows. I think every generation, every parent, wants their children to have it better than they did. I, I know my mom and dad did. And I think every parent does to some degree. But friends, I'm not convinced that we have done our children any favors. Maybe may a disservice. The love of the world and the things of the world that this present generation seems to, uh, to love so much is sure evidence that our efforts to make things better, or maybe the, maybe the word easier would be better, has uh, backfired a bit. And it's the same concerning the things of God. That's what we see in this text. And I've heard many who are still alive, those who are older than me, that even those who were in false religion 50 or 60 years ago would cringe and blush at the things taught in churches today. The things that are accepted today in religion. Uh, So we've got to be diligent in holding and proclaiming forth the truth. And we should personally strive to set the example of how crucial it is to trust the Lord. Worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. And I know professing believers who've prayed for their children. I've heard them. I've heard them say, oh, how I wish the Lord would save my child. And there's one who attended this church, I won't mention any names, and they had their children move, their child move here from another city and started attending services here, and no sooner than they started coming, that praying parent themselves stopped coming. Uh, now neither of them come. And some pray for family members who live where there's no gospel preached. And when that family member comes to visit, instead of bringing them to church, they stay home from worship with them. I know this much. And I'm not trying to preach any works tonight. I'm just telling you what's on my heart. The gospel will never mean anything to our family or to our children if they don't see that it means anything to us. I don't know, I, I, well, I, I know that we cannot change the course of providence. God has His way in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say to Him, What doest thou? Nor would we change God's providence if we could. But like that woman who opened up that alabaster box of precious and expensive ointment to anoint the head of the Lord, we should strive. I mean, we should strive to fill the air around us with that sweet fragrance of substitution and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Especially since the preaching of, of the gospel is the means that God uses to save them that believe. I cannot make somebody believe. But we cannot lay the full blame to the world's false religion and teaching when we are ourselves also to blame. Now here in Judges chapter 2, we see that this new generation knew not the Lord or His great works. And a great deal of that responsibility and that fault fell on the generation before. And and what was the result? Look at verse 11. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. Verse 12, And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. You know, the decline in this new generation was because they didn't know the Lord, nor were they aware of all the things that He had done. And obviously they weren't taught. What's the usual outcome of such ignorance? What is the result of such a lack of knowledge? Apostasy and neglect of God. We see it right here. Did you notice in verse 11, that they did this evil in the sight of the Lord. In verse 12, we're told that they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, the very God and Lord who brought them out of the land of Egypt, buying themselves to false gods. Their evil and their depravity, depravity, (laughs) was exposed in the very presence of the One who was their God, their Savior, and their Deliverer. And really, shouldn't we be surprised when our children and our, and our grandchildren do the same thing? Oh, may God lay upon our hearts and, and give us the zeal to, to teach our children the things of Christ. Israel's actions are declared here in terms of betrayal. You know, it's not just like they ignored the Lord, they actually were progressive in worshiping other gods. We're told in verse 11, they served Balaam. In verse 13, they served Baal and Ashtoreth. Those who are saved serve the Savior. Yes, sir. They worship God in the Spirit and they rejoice in Christ Jesus and they have no confidence in the flesh. I don't have any confidence in my flesh or yours either. I don't. But uh, there can be no mixture of truth and error when it comes to salvation. What fellowship can righteousness have with unrighteousness? What communion can light have with darkness? What conquered or what consent or agreement can Christ have with bel What does a believer have in common with an infidel or the temple of God with idols? None. Absolutely none, and the command from God is very plain and very simple: Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, Touch not the unclean thing. Now verse twelve tells us they provoked the Lord to anger. that word provoked that's a strong word. it means that they promoted anger from God, they roused God's anger, they prompted god's wrath they Annoyed and irritated God. (laughs) God is angry with the wicked every day and God's always the same. He always responds the same way towards sin. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Romans 1.18 And idolatry no doubt provokes the Lord to anger because God being a jealous God and He is a jealous God will not give His glory to another. He's not going to share your affection with idols. And boy, we make uh, idols out of just about anything and everything. We all do. And These actions brought about judgment upon this new generation of Israel just as God had promised Joshua and Joshua had told the people. Let, let me show you that. We just looked at it not just a few weeks back. Turn back just a few pages. Hold your place here. Turn back just a few pages to Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23 and, and in verse 14, Joshua says these words. Joshua's about about done. He's finished his course. His departure's at hand. And he says in verse 14, Joshua 23, And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you all are come to pass unto you, and not one thing has failed thereof. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things until He hath destroyed you from all this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. When you have transgressed, the covenant of the Lord your God, which He commanded you, and you have gone and served other gods and bowed yourselves to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land which He hath given unto you. Divine judgment. It always follows unbelief, disobedience, and apostasy. Instead of continuing to give Israel miraculous victories over their enemies, God said that's it. The Lord would now give Israel to the hands of the enemy. And it all began by making these false gods and idols uh, effectual to their hearts. Now back to Judges 2, that's exactly what we see here, divine judgment. Look at verse 14 here. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And He delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them. And He sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said. And the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. And again, I remind you that not all who were of natural Israel, physical, natural Jews, were of spiritual Israel. To some, even in the day of judges, this was judgment, but to others, it was no doubt divine chastisement. What's the difference? Well, there's a great difference. The Lord's chastisement is always done in love and kind correction of His true people. No doubt some in this new generation learned a valuable lesson and were turned And redeemed. There's no doubt in my mind. Chastisement is for sons and daughters. And it's designed to bring the Lord's people to call upon Him and trust Him. For them, this was not judgment. It wasn't punishment. Though no doubt it felt that way. But it was correction for children whom the Heavenly Father loved. And it's the same for us today. When God chastises us, it's because He loves us. And it's because He's teaching us. And He's causing us to look to Him and to trust in Him for everything. And this to me is the proof of two natures. The old man and the old creature. uh, uh, However you want to describe it. Nature, man, it still plagues us with the infatuation and enchantment of strange gods. Now, I know none of us here tonight worship tree stumps or golden calves. The strange gods of our heart take on a different name. The God of identity, identity, the God of position, the God of status, the God of ability, the God of personal achievement. These are our idols. then there's the God of mammon, the God of money, the God of wealth, the God of possessions. What about the God of vanity, the God of appearance, the God of popularity, influence, and fame, the God of vainglory? Then there's also the God of entertainment, the God of technology, the God of hobbies, By nature, men want the next new thing. I'm guilty of serving these idols. What about this idol? The idol of family. How many folks put their families before God? Especially their children. People today don't have time for God. You know, children have so many activities anymore that consume them and steal their parents' time, and it doesn't leave any time or interest for the worship of God. I've heard people use their children's activities as an excuse for worship. Well, we would have liked to have been there, but we had this and that and everything else. You know, believers would do their children a great service to raise them and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the wise man, Solomon, wrote train or instruct a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, that doesn't mean that God's going to save every child that we try to teach the gospel to, but when a loving parent does so, teaches them the things of Christ, makes them aware that we have a sovereign God who's ruling and reigning and bringing all things to pass according to His own will and purpose, and that He's working all those things together for His people's good, when they reach the years of maturity and understanding, their hearts are at least seasoned with the grace of God. And just maybe God will be pleased to show them their need. And they'll at least know who to turn to in time of need. The God that you've preached to them for years. The God that you've taught them about. And... Remember, no man can serve two masters. None can love the world and love God. That's what God said. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And these things, they're just so subtle. They start out so innocently and but yet they're so serious and they're so damning. God will not play second chair to anyone or anything. There's so many things that take us away from the worship of our great creator. And God has to correct. God has to chastise us in order for us to change our way of thinking on these things. The scripture of divine judgment given in verses 14 and 15 should come as no surprise. They're exactly what God had promised them over there in Joshua chapter 23 that we just read. But what does come as a surprise to men and women is what we see in verses 16 through 18. Though God does discipline His people for their sin, He also remains faithful to His character and He sends them deliverers, judges. Look at verse 16. Nevertheless, Oh, I love that word. Just like that little word, but. <laughs> Nevertheless, in spite of all these things, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. And yet, they would not hearken unto their judges, but they went a-whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And as I read those verses, I, I thought to myself, how wonderful and merciful is it that our depravity does not prevent God's mercy. In spite of Israel's sin, the Lord raised up judges. As we discussed in an earlier study, judges were deliverers, they were saviors, not someone in a robe presiding in a court of law with a, a gavel. No, they were uh, men of war. They were warriors who battled and spoiled Israel's enemies. And verse 19, And it came to pass, when the judge was dead, that they, Israel, returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers, and following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them, and they cease not from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. Now what is wrong with us? No argument against our depravity. There's no excuse for our vileness. That's what depravity is. There are many who confess to being sinners, but only a true believer will confess to being depraved. And then they'll put that word Totally before, it, completely depraved. And there's none that doeth good. there's none that seeketh after God. There's none righteous no not one. We are all totally depraved by nature. Most to tell you I'm not perfect, but they believe that their good outweighs their bad. But here we have great proof of what we are by nature. And when a judge died, the next generation would act more wickedly than the previous one. And they'd follow after other gods, worshiping and bowing down to them. Now, what is that but depravity? There are those today who insist that man is, an, is every day in every way getting better and better. The Bible, God's Word, begs to differ. Yeah. But what makes grace grace and what makes mercy mercy is that again, God again and again and again delivered them in spite of them. And I've often said that's a great definition for grace and for mercy. It's an accurate definition too. God delivering us again and again in spite of us. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. As sin reigned in the death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. The word judges in our text is plural. It's referring to all the judges that the Lord raised up. But I think it's very important for us to understand that the Lord sent these judges one at a time. And that pictures and points to Jesus Christ, our Savior. The Lord Jesus is the single source of salvation and deliverance. And this, there's not a believer alive that thinks that they deserve the mercy of God. You won't find one. Every child of God is embarrassed, ashamed, and sorry for their disobedience and depravity. But with Christ as my judge, my deliverer, my savior, in spite of who and what I am in Christ, God shows me mercy. Now that's good news. That's good news. No wonder the prophet Habakkuk asked the Lord in wrath, Remember mercy. Don't give me what I deserve, Lord. Give me what I don't deserve. Give me mercy. I deserve wrath, but remember mercy. This chapter, nor this book of Judges, ends with a happy ever after. The further we read in this chapter and the further we read in this book, the worse man seems to get. Uh, That goes to show you that when man fell, he didn't just stump his toe. Man fell into utter darkness and depravity. But here's the gospel. And I'll close with these words. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. You can let your place in Judges go. How glorious it is to a sinner that our salvation is not dependent on what we do, but upon what Christ has done for us. I can't say that enough but it's not an excuse for us to sin. Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read this whole chapter and let's as we read it together keep in mind the things that we've talked about tonight. Paul asks, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, with Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. You can't, arrest a a dead man for anything. He's dead. (laughs) Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Now I know that we all sin and we're going to continue to sin as long as we live in this body of flesh, this body of death as Paul calls it. But our bent is not towards sin. And we hate our sin. We abhor, uh, as Job said, I abhor myself. I abhor the way that I am. And we cry unto Christ and we cling unto Him. uh, Because we've been raised with Him in newness of life. Verse 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are... Uh, "...to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God bethink that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh." For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. And what fruit had ye then and those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, hell. Being made free from sin and become servants to God ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God's revealed to His elect people who and what they are. I know that I'm depraved, totally depraved by nature. I know that if left up to me, I'll choose the evil every time. But also know that mercy is God not giving me what I deserve and that the wages of my sin being death, I have a, a, a much grander hope of life eternal because the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself for me. The prophet Micah wrote this, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy." He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and Thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob. Oh, that's talking about me. (laughs) It's talking about you. And the mercy to Abraham which Thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. Now that is the God of the Bible, a merciful God, a loving God.